welcome. We're in John chapter 20, and I'm going to read the whole of that uh, chapter to you. So let's go for it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, no, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. 
Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I was tempted not to read the whole of that chapter. Chapter, it takes a while, over four minutes to read. Couldn't I have just picked a few verses? Well, no, because we need to hear the whole of this chapter. We need to hear the whole of this story, this narrative, these people's experience. In our journey through John this year, if we just worked our way sequentially through the book, we'd be reading these verses in December. But of course, we have to look at them this week. This week for many of us, it starts with Easter Sunday. This week that changes the world. It's in this chapter that we are reminded why John wrote all his chapters. We're reminded that he could have written so much more, but these are written, it says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is not writing a history. John is writing that we might believe. He wants us to see the empty tomb. He wants us to encounter the risen Christ. And so these verses are essential. Everything stands or falls on these verses. Some scholars who studied John's gospel have suggested that actually he writes the second half of his gospel first. That might be true, it might not, but what is true when you look at the gospel is that nearly half of the gospel just relates to the final week of Jesus' earthly life. Chapters 13 through to 21. Just focus on the end because it's at the end we get the beginning. It's at the end that we get these events. And if these events don't happen, none of the rest matters. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. It stands on this, on the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And in this chapter, John gets us to walk, to run, to look through the eyes and to listen through the ears of these first disciples who encounters Christ, the risen Christ, for the first time. And the first person we encounter is Mary. Mary Magdalene, possibly the sister of Lazarus, certainly the one through whom, out of whom demons were driven by Jesus, probably the Mary who breaks the alabaster jar of perfume over Jesus. There's debate on who this woman was. Is she one person or is she a number? But what's not debatable is that all four gospel writers place this woman at this place at this time. She is the 
first person to see an empty tomb. She is the first person to encounter the risen Christ. This is incredibly important. Incredibly important for her, but also important for us. You see, some down through the years have suggested that this is made up, that this is not true, that the body was stolen, either by the authorities or by the disciples. Some have suggested that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just fainted and the warmth of the tomb revived him. But actually, if that was the case, if John is trying to create some sort of lie here, some sort of false concept to pull the wool over our eyes, the last thing he does is place a woman here. The last thing he does is for the first person to witness and to bear testimony to be a woman. You see, a woman's testimony at that time didn't count in a court of law. No one was going to listen to this woman. Unless, of course, she's telling the truth. Unless, of course, John is just recounting what actually happened. Unless, of course, he can't edit her out of the story because the story includes her, because the story is true. And, of course, that's what we believe. Mary, Mary who knew Jesus, Mary who ate with Jesus, Mary who walked with Jesus, Mary who stood at the foot of the cross and did not abandon Jesus, Mary who followed the disciples when they carried Jesus to this tomb. You see, even that's important because some have suggested they went to the wrong tomb. Well, no, she knew the tomb. She'd been there less than 48 hours earlier. She'd marked the spot she'd seen. And now at her earliest opportunity, after the Sabbath, as soon as it was just about safe to do so, while it's still dark, but while the darkness is being broken by the dawn, she goes to this tomb and discovers it empty. Well, of course, she doesn't discover it empty. She just discovers it open. And so she runs. The first thing she does is not try and work out. She runs. The other gospel writers uh, suggest that she went there with other women, and that is most likely. Because when she runs and meets Peter and John, the disciple who Jesus loved, she says, we have discovered So it's possible the other women have stayed at the tomb. She said, stay there, I'm going to get the guys. She runs. She finds Peter. She finds John, the disciple that Jesus loved. And they just respond by running. I love the fact that John records that he's slightly quicker, slightly faster runner than Peter, but also slightly more cautious. He arrives first but goes in second. Peter, as we know, never does anything slowly other than running. So he gets then straight in. Straight in. Just these cloths. See, the tomb isn't empty. It's just empty of the one thing that should be there, the body of Christ. The grave clothes have been folded which again debunks the theory that the body was stolen by thieves. 
because the only thing of value is the cloth. And yet that's been left. Not crumpled up, but folded, placed in fact. Peter goes in, sees, comes out. John looks and sees and most significantly believes. John sees and believes. Sometimes we're told seeing is believing, but of course that's not actually true. We sometimes see without believing. Mary had looked and seen, but not yet believed. Peter had looked and seen, but not yet believed. John looks and sees and believes. What about you? What about you? That's our question this morning, surely. If this is true, which I believe it is. If we see an empty tomb, if we see folded grave clothes, if we see, as we will in a moment, the risen Christ, do we believe? So Peter and John see, Peter believes, and then bizarrely, they leave. They run back, bless them, leaving Mary weeping. Come on, guys. Mary stays standing. Now, we can get all analytical about this encounter. What does Jesus mean when he says, don't touch me? What does uh, Mary, what happens when Mary sees but doesn't see and recognises but doesn't recognise? But, and that's good to study, but let's notice the power of this, the gentleness of this, the compassion of this, the beauty of this encounter. This first moment when Mary meets the risen Christ. She's weeping. She finally looks in. And now there are angels. I find it amazing that she's so taken up in the moment. This doesn't seem to face her. They just ask her a question. Why are you weeping? She seems to just pause and step back and say, because... They've taken my Lord. Her heart, her mind is still on the Jesus she knew. She's still caught up in probably the disappointment of Friday. All her hopes, all her dreams, all her aspirations seem to have come to nothing, died on that cross, and her grief is just flowing out of her. All she wants to do now is do the one thing she can do, which is find this body and anoint it and bless it and pray over it. And her tears come and the angels ask her, why are you weeping? She said, just tell me where he is. And I imagine her at that moment turning away And as she turns, I can just imagine her, she's thinking, well, he's not here, I'm going to walk away. As she walks away, it's almost as if her shoulder knocks the the shoulder of the gardener. I, I can imagine her almost over her shoulder. Oh, do you know where he is? Can you tell me? I picture almost, she, she knocks, she asks the question over her shoulder, she sees him but doesn't see him. And then he... Asks her the question. So she replies, and there's something in his voice that is familiar, but again, the tears, the emotion. And then what does he do? He calls her by name. How does this gardener know her name? In fact, it's not the. 
Rabbanai. It's Jesus. The tears maybe continue to flow, but they're now joy. He's probably still wiping tears from her face. Rabbanai. I mean, we just get a few words, but I'm sure stuff bubbled out of her. She goes from confused and grief-stricken to joyful and focused, and now she runs again. But she's not running with a question anymore. She's running with a statement. No more, where is he? No, he's alive. He's alive. I have seen the Lord. John could have stopped there. We could have stopped there. This was a Netflix series. That's the moment we'd have cut to credits. He's going to come back next week. But John goes on. After Mary's testimony, they gather. They're still fearful. They believe her, but they don't believe her. They've seen, but they've not yet believed. John's probably going, I believe. Peter's going, I don't know. Mary's going, he was there. But they're still fearful. What might happen to them? The doors are locked. They're chatting. They're talking over one another. And then there's Jesus. There's Jesus. What does he bring? Peace. Shalom. Presence. My peace. Again, we could spend more minutes, more hours than we've got unpacking what these words mean, peace and breathing in the spirit and forgiveness of sins. But what we want to focus on here is this encounter. The risen Christ, they see and they believe. Suddenly everything starts to make sense. All those words, all that teaching about a cross and three days and a temple being broken down and built up again. Everything they've learned, everything they've encountered, everything Jesus said to them about servant leadership and the least being the greatest and losing your life to gain it, all these words suddenly begin to fall into place because they're faced with this one they know and yet they don't know. This one who is the same but different. This one who is their teacher, their friend, their master, but now their Lord. But Thomas isn't there. Have you ever felt like you've missed out? Have you ever been the one not to make the party, not to see the film, to be looking away when the winning goal is scored? Have you ever felt like you've missed out? Thomas missed out big. Imagine being Thomas. I always imagine him arriving late. Maybe he was often late. Maybe he was one of those people. Is Thomas here yet? No, of course not. Maybe for Thomas, time was more of an idea than a fixed point. But at some point in the next seven days, maybe that night, maybe the next day, he's back in the room and they're saying, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And yet Thomas can't get it. Sometimes we can't understand, can we, why a friend, a neighbour, a colleague 
a brother, a sister, can't get it. <laughs> can't see what we've seen. But that's where Thomas was at. He hadn't seen it. And the compassion of God is remarkable. Surely Jesus had done enough. He'd appeared to Mary and he'd appeared to the disciples in the room and we know from other gospel writers he'd appeared in other places. There's a buzz starting to go around Jerusalem. Jesus is alive. What he said was true. The authorities are, are bribing guards to tell lies. It's all going on. Surely Jesus could have gone, right, I'm done now. I'll let Thomas will come round in the end. He'll understand in the end. Maybe you'll sit down with Mary and she'll tell him the story again. But no, that's not enough for Jesus because Thomas was his friend. Jesus didn't want Thomas to miss out. Jesus doesn't want you to miss out. So he comes back. A week later, Jesus comes. Comes back to the same room, says some of the same words, but he's come to meet one person, Thomas. He calls him by name. How do I know that? Because Jesus lets him know, I know what your doubt was, because he answers that doubt. Look, here are my hands. Put your fingers here, like, like you said, Thomas, last week. Put your fingers here. Put your hand here. He looks Thomas in the eye. I imagine Thomas looking up, thinking, oh, Lord. My Lord and my God. Thomas gets it, he sees, and he believes. John saw and believed. Mary saw and believed. The disciples saw and believed. Thomas sees and believes. And John writes these words that we might see and believe. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Back in John chapter 10, John has said, Jesus came that you might have life in all its fullness. This isn't just a transaction. This isn't just a theological formula. Cross, resurrection, sin, dealt with. No, this is life. This is relationship. This is love. This is compassion. This is Jesus. This is God calling each of us by name that we might have life. That we might know that Jesus was exactly who he said he was and is exactly who we believe him to be right now. Not just so that we receive love, but so that we receive life. Not just so that sin is broken in our lives, our imperfection broken. Not just that we're set free, but we're set free to live. Easter Sunday, Jesus is raised. That which is dead is alive. When we see and believe, that becomes true of us. This is either the worst lie in history or it is the most important truth you will ever believe. Over these next minutes, we're inviting you to watch this short video that we've put together, reminding you of this story, reminding you of this truth. As you watch, we're encouraging you to look 
to see and to ask the question, do I believe? If you do, respond and receive life in all its fullness. Amen. We start with the long walk to the cross. Crucify him, crucify him. The crowd spits and mocks. This innocent man with no crime to confess, led like a lamb to the slaughter, his execution, his death. His friends, his followers, quaking with fear behind locked doors. Maybe our lives will go back to how they were before. He called us, he led us, he loved us, we thought. There was something different about this rabbi, but maybe not. For three days, he laid in that tomb, cold and lifeless. What else was there for his followers to do? They were truly helpless. The one they'd put their hope in was dead and gone. But wait, what's this these women are telling us has gone on? They had gone to the grave to see where he'd been laid. The two Marys full of grief, but then the ground began to shake. An angel sent from heaven appeared to them and said, do not be afraid. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Some said, no, th this can't be true. The religious leaders told the guards to do whatever they needed to do to cover this up, this shock result. Take our money, they said, to make sure this never gets out. But the angel made it clear. He is not here. He has risen from the dead. Read Matthew 16, 21. It's just as he said. The stone was rolled away, the curtain torn in two. He has overcome the grave. He's won new life for me and for you. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He died a sinner's death, but then rose up to show us. Death could not hold him. Death would not keep him down. It looked like it was over, but the story's been turned around. The weight of our shame he took to the grave. The mess of this world with all its evil and its pain. It's dealt with, it's finished. His resurrection makes that sure. Your old self, your shame isn't walking out that grave anymore. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your sting? You've got nothing on me. He is alive. Jesus is risen. This is our king. Now we've got a new mission. This suffering servant he died to show. Oh wait, rewind. Now he's alive. And so we sing hallelujah. We shout victory. We're heralds of good news. This is who we're made to be. Our world needs a savior. Our world needs a king. Someone to lead us with real life-changing power and bring hope to the hopeless, care for the poor, justice for the oppressed, the kind of kingdom this world is longing for. So lift up your head. The king is not dead. He saves, he gives life. We believe he has said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Come to me and find comfort in the midst of your strife. For this living king, he reigns and he rules. 
over every nation of the world, over me and over you. With the words of the angel still ringing in our ears, do not be afraid, it said, come, wipe away your tears. He's coming again. We'll see him before us. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is King of kings and the Lord of lords, the living one. Oh, come, let us adore.